Right, so today we're continuing a series called Reroute Your Thinking. And this series comes from the RELATE process that we have. RELATE is actually an acronym. It's not just the name of the church. And reroute my thinking is the R in RELATE. And understanding how the brain works when we're threatened. You know, relationships is the most important part of what God wants us to get out of the entirety of Scripture. Relationship with Him. And learning how to have a relationship with Him. And that translates into our relationships with each other. This means say amen, right? It translates into our relationships with each other. So it's a matter of looking at this and saying, okay, that is the destination. That's what I want to get to in my relationship with God. But John, I'm not good at relationships. That's the point of this. It's getting beyond ourselves, getting beyond our selfishness, getting beyond even sometimes our personality to coming to a place where... God made me just as I am so that I can learn how to have relationships. So rerouting my thinking, if you'd go back and listen to some of the sermons we've done over the last few weeks, really, really good information, especially if you, uh, if you just, you know, you need something, some information about getting into a better relationship with somebody in your life. So today we're going to talk about this. Threats thwart love. Threats Thwart love. Which would be better? A life built about my threats? A life built about your threats, the things that threaten you? Or a life built on love? Now, the, you know, that sounds kind of fairy taleish to say, well, a life built on love. It seems like, you know, it seems like a life built on on threats is so, uh, it's so sensible. It's so reasonable, right? You know, at some point, my little grandson, Eli, he's going to have to make this decision. What direction am I going to head in my life? Am I, gonna, am I going to build my life on the things that I'm afraid of, the things that threaten me, avoiding those things? Or am I going to build my life based upon love? I mean, this little guy has got to make that decision at some point. So he's going to come to a crossroads and he's going to be like, okay, threats or love? Hmm, which one am I going to choose? I don't know. This one seems sensible. This one seems right. This one seems like it's safe, right? It's very safe. Play it safe. I'm going to build my life based upon what I'm, what I'm afraid of. I'm not going to do this and I'm going to do that because I'm afraid of this or I'm afraid of that or I'm afraid I'm not going to get this. But wait a second. What about love? Well, can't I have both of them? I don't know. The problem is threats thwart love. And this life, when we live our life based upon our threats, based upon what we're afraid of, living that life ends in regret, loneliness, and lacks purpose. But the life of love, should Eli choose to go the way of love, his life will be full of threats. And he's going to need a lot of wisdom to navigate that life. Why? Because his life will be full of threats. 
Because he's not avoiding the threats. He's dealing with them so that he can love God and love the people around him. His life will be full of threats. He needs a lot of wisdom to be able to live that life. He's going to have to use his brain to think, think his way through that life. But he's also going to have to have a life. But he will also have a life that is what? Full. His life will be full. So let me explain a little bit more. It's easy for us to build our life around threats and not even know it. Not even know that that's the life that we've built. We might think we've chosen the way of love, but really we've just tried to make our lives safe and comfortable and secure. And here's the reality. Every one of us has threats, right? All of us have fears in our lives, real fears that we all face. And it's up to us to decide how much those fears and threats will keep us from loving. You see, threats thwart love because everyone believes their threat is more important than other people's threats. Let that sink in. What threatens me is more important than whatever threatens you. That's my threat. And that's more important. And if you were smart, you'd figure it out because my threat is very important. And if you were smart, you'd figure out that your threat should be my threat because we've got to survive this life. But we all believe that. And threats thwart love because they keep us self-focused. We end up being focused on ourselves, protecting ourselves, instead of being able to love the people around us. So here's a question. How do you function in your own home? Is your home about managing threats or is your home about being able to love? Do you clean your home, for example, because you're afraid of disease and illness? That's a good reason, I suppose. But that's a threat. It's a life of threats, right? What would it look like if you cleaned your home because you love? You say, well, John, what does it matter? The end result is a clean home. That's all that matters. It matters a lot. You see, either way, the house gets clean, right? When Angela and I first got married, she had been programmed every Saturday of her life that it was time to clean the house. And we lived in this little trailer, and it was just the two of us. How much dirt could we possibly accumulate in a week, you know? And every Saturday for about three hours, we're scrubbing this trailer. And I'm like, you know, we're just brand new married, and we live down in Florida, and we're youth pastors and stuff. And I'm like, what are we doing this for every week? It's just the two of us. So finally, I sat down with her. I said, hey, honey, why are we doing this every Saturday when we could be out doing something fun and having a good time? We could go flea market or something. I mean, not a whole lot to do in Florida besides the beach, but you know, you get in the wintertime. And I asked her about it, and, and finally she, she said, you know, she, she was like, okay. So she started enjoying Saturdays with me, and, and wow, it felt good. I mean, we keep the home clean, but it wasn't like this religious thing every Saturday. And we did that for a couple of months, and after a couple of months, she got pregnant. Story ends there. Threats thwart love. You can, you, listen, you can have the cleanest home in the world, but not have love. Your idea of what is clean may not be the same clean that someone else has. It's your threat. It's what you think. 
What you get threatened by is often based upon what someone taught you or told you growing up. The difference is atmosphere. You say, why do I have to, why do I have to even think about this? Because if you don't do the things in your home in love, you miss the whole atmosphere. Whether or not you're creating a place of peace and love and relationships, a home filled with love knows that sometimes things aren't perfectly clean. But there's love and there's peace and there's joy, right? What about your job? Do you work at your job just because you're afraid of not having food? Just because you're afraid of not having money to pay the rent? Is that why you work? If you do, you hate working. But if you're able to switch it and start going to work in love, it changes everything. Both ways will get you to work each day, right? Whether it's living by threats, I have to work, the man's got his thumb on me. I've got to go make a paycheck so that I can have food and clothes and a place to live. I've got a wife and I've got kids or I've got all of these bills, whatever it is. If you're going to work with that, you're missing the whole point. But switching it and going to work and love changes and it gives you purpose. You see, when you go to work and say, God, thank you for your provision. I'm going to enjoy this day and I'm going to look around me to see who I can encourage, what I can do, who I can minister to. And you start seeing your workplace as a mission field that God has sent you to instead of this dungeon, instead of this prison that I'm stuck in and I'm shackled and I don't know how to get out of it because I've got bills and I've got people to feed and I've got my face to feed as well. It's a whole different life. Whole different life. Our students, why are they going to school tomorrow? Why are you going to school tomorrow? Because, well, I, I want to avoid truancy. That's a good reason. It's a threat. Well, I don't want to grow up and be on skid row. That's a good reason. That's a threat. What if you went to school with purpose and love and looked around yourself and saw other people that were hurting and started ministering to them? Love. Here's another question, and this takes us to the spiritual part, because you know what? I believe that if, if we take care of the spiritual side of our lives, the rest of it falls into place, right? So here's a question. Why did you come to church? Because you're afraid of hell? That's a threat. It's a good reason. I don't want to go to hell. Anybody here want to go to hell? So it's a good reason. But what's going to happen if you come to church just to stay out of hell? Ugh. I don't like this. I don't like that. Oh, God, why do you put me through this? John's talking about relationships again. <laughs> and we get frustrated with every little thing, and it's just, it's like being at work trying to feed yourself. Why do you go to church? I suspect that our churches are full of people who are just trying to avoid hell. Why do I say that? Because much of the church experiences that we have aren't about God. 
They're about what people want. It's about what we like and what we don't like. As opposed to it being about what God likes and what God doesn't like. What do you mean, John? Well, imagine if you were able to take some time and go and visit all kinds of different churches all across the land. What would you find? Well, you would find people behaving and doing worship completely different in every different place and every different house, which is fine, right? But when you stop and think about it, if there is really only one God, and we were all doing church the way He wants us to, and what He likes and what He doesn't like, there'd be a little bit more uniformity, wouldn't there be? Is church really about Him? That's the question. And I think it's a question that you and I ought to continually ask ourselves as we grow and build and move in this church together. What does God like? What doesn't God like? And, and, and are we just managing human threats and having church managing human threats? Is church really about loving God? Is it really about loving people or is it us managing our fears? Let me give you an example. There are some churches that say, say you traveled to a church and you went in and you found out, oh, we don't have, they don't have music. They just sing a cappella. Why do you sing a cappella? Why don't you have any music? Because God doesn't like the guitar and God doesn't like any kind of music. Really? Okay. You go to the next church and it's a rock concert and there's smoke and lights. Why do you guys do that? Because God likes it. Wait a second, have we got the same God here? How do you know God likes that? How do you? It's not about God. It's about what the people want. One church has pews and altars, and another church has chairs that stack, and after church, they stack the chairs, and they play basketball right there in the middle of where they were just worshiping. Which one's right? One church says you can't dance and go to the movies. You go down to another church, and they have a dance right there in the church, and they show a movie. One church doesn't allow drinking alcohol at all. Another church, the pastor's going to be greeting you at the door after church holding a beer. I did a funeral one time, and the pastor was at the door, standing there with a beer afterwards. We did it in another church. I was like, wow, that's awesome. One church sings old hymns, and the other church, the guy gets up and just makes it up, right? Singing whatever song he makes up. You know, it seems surface, uh, it seems at the surface what we can say about this, and this is how we, we justify it. We justify it with this. Well, there's diversity in the body of Christ. Okay. Really? Well, is it really about diversity? I propose to you that people choose their place of worship a little more selfishly than we know. Is it possible that you attend this church not out of love for God and not out of love for His people, but because... It's the least threat to you. And if that's the case, and here's where I want to challenge you. Because if this is the least threat in the area, 
for you. If that's the case, then what happens the first time I say something or someone says something or does something that does threaten you? You're gone. Why? Because threats thwart love. And if you operate your life based upon what threatens you and doesn't threaten you, you're going to miss what love is. And the path of love says, I may not understand what was just said. I may have misinterpreted it or you may have been in a bad mood. I don't know, but I love you anyway. You see, love works through things and sticks with it no matter what. And the church that never threatens or challenges you is a problem. We shouldn't be worried about threatening you. Our concern is do we love you? A sterile environment that doesn't allow for you to press beyond what offends your holy flesh to love someone lacks everything about God. Ask churchgoers if their style of music is what God likes. Yeah, he loves what we do. Is it what God prefers? Absolutely. If their sanctuary is to be holy or sacred or solemn as opposed to filled with life and activities and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. This is, see, it's, it's what we want and we attribute it to God. And the world looks on and says, good grief, I thought they only had one God in Christianity. What a confused bunch of people. So churches on every corner aren't there for diversity as much as we're there for people trying to manage their own threats. Are you seeing it? So diversity. What is diversity? Diversity is about people of likenesses and dislikenesses. I just made up a word. And dislikenesses coming together in unity. That's diversity. But is that what we're seeing in the church by and large? We're seeing people go to church because of what they like, the color of their skin, the music for their ears, and the visuals for their eyes. That's managing threats. God wants us to be people of love. He wants us to choose the way of love and not manage threats, but to love. We had a guy in the church for a couple of years that I really thought he was becoming a really good friend of mine. And what I didn't know was he had a belief that a certain version of the Bible was straight out of the pit of hell. And I didn't know this. And I could see along the way that he was getting angrier and angrier every Sunday. I was like, man, God, what's going on with this guy? Well, finally, I figured it out because he sent me an email. (laughs) And he was explaining that that particular version of the Bible was written by a person that was trying to pervert the Bible in the guise of being a Christian, under the guise of being a Christian. And and this was a, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And he had read it somewhere and that 
And, you know, the truth of the matter is, I don't know if you realize this or not, but this is, this is how it works. Even in the world of Christians using God's name for business, they will try to say something is ungodly so that their Bible will sell. You understand that? Anybody ever, please don't admit this. I, I won't ask you the question. I was going to ask if anybody ever sold Amway. I don't want to know it. But that's what Amway would, did with Procter & Gamble. I can't, remember, I can't tell you how many times people walked up to me through the, throughout the years and here's, here's Procter & Gamble's thing. You need to sign this petition and, and say that you're going to never buy a Procter & Gamble uh, thing anymore. I'm like, I need baking soda. Seriously? What? Amway had spread these lies that they were Satanists, you know, and it was horrible. And Amway was this Christian. Well, that's probably what happens in these situations. They want to sell their product, so let's label it as evil, right? And this guy had, had read this stuff, and so he wrote me this email, uh, and, and he was saying, any use of this Bible, and I quote this, he says, it was poisoning the people. And I was like, oh man, that's a strong stand here, you know? And I expressed to them, him, hey, look, I've done my own research on this Bible and I feel very comfortable with it. And I said, but it's no problem. If this is something that offends you, I will never use this Bible again as long as you're in our church. But that wasn't good enough. He needed me to agree with him that this Bible was of Satan, all right? So for me, it was about relationship. It was about relationship. But for him, it was about managing this threat, right? Threats thwart love. And it gets in the way of it. And instead of being able to love me and say, all right, man, yeah, you, let's choose to agree and or agree that we disagree. And that's all right. Let's stay in this relationship and let's move forward and let's continue to worship together and serve the kingdom of God together. Even though one of us doesn't have enough information about this situation, we don't know which one is right or wrong here because it didn't really matter. The relationship is what was important. Are you following me? You see... The problem is, we believe God is like us when God is saying, I want you to become like me. God needs to be like me. No, God calls us to be like him. I had a business owner one time tell me, it was some, somebody that I did business with, and she said, well, I'm, well I, I would go to her store, all right, and so we're not you know, doing some kind of business together. I would go to her store. And I was talking to her one day, and I was trying to share Christ with her. And she says, well, I'm a Hindu because I'm a hedonist, and that's what that God's about. And so I, I enjoy sensuality, and so that's why I'm in that religion. What? Well, and I talked to another person, and she said, well, I'm Catholic because I like, and listen, I'm not preaching against Catholicism here. I'm just saying, this is why people choose their different religions. And she said, because the rituals and the ceremonies, they make me feel so good. Okay? But what if you can't have those rituals and ceremonies anymore? What if life were to change and that wasn't allowed anymore? What do you have? When it all comes down whether you have a relationship or not with God and his people. That's what it comes down to. So why are you here? Are you managing threats? Or are you choosing to love God and his people? True wisdom begins when you agree with what God really says he likes and doesn't like. 
when you agree with what God says he likes and doesn't like. Scripture says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? Until you realize God is your only threat in life. Let me say that again. Until you realize God is your only threat in life, everything you know is useless. Wisdom and sanity begin with knowing God is your only threat. He's the only one you should be afraid of. He's the only one you should allow to threaten you. You see, wisdom and sanity begin Begin with that understanding. Because with God, everything can fall apart in your life. You can lose everything. You can lose your food. You can lose your clothes. You can lose a family member. You can lose everything in your life. But with God, you've still got everything for eternity. But without God, you don't have anything. And all of the threats and all the things you're afraid of losing and all of the things you're afraid you're not going to get, all of that, all of the threats of your life, if you're living your life to manage that stuff, all of it is meaningless without God. The God of the Bible has promised you heaven. He's promised you life everlasting, a place where he will personally bring you in and wipe every tear from your eyes, from your face. Isn't that beautiful? That's what God has promised for you, a mansion to live in eternity, not just a shack on the side of heaven, right? He's promised you a mansion that you get to live in for eternity. And Jesus said this, he said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's what Jesus said. He says, instead of being afraid of all of this, instead of letting your life be managed by all the things you're afraid of, all of the threats in life, he says, just be afraid of God. And that's the one that if you're afraid of him, you don't have to worry about anything because he mandates, the only thing he mandates is that you learn the way of love. Oh, that's powerful. So who is right? God. certainly isn't me. And we all know it's not you, right? It's God. He's right. You see, the Bible is full of what God likes and doesn't like. And God's commands are his likes and his dislikes. The, the Big Ten, y'all remember the Big Ten? Used to be talked about a lot. We talk about them here, right? The Big Ten, what are they? They're God communicating, this is what I like and this is what I don't like. This is what to do and this is what not to do. But it's bigger than that. God said, I fulfill those commandments in Christ. What did he mean? He says, when you begin to love people, all of those commands are taken care of. When you love somebody, guess what? You're not going to murder them. When you love your parents, guess what? You're going to honor them. When you love somebody, you're not going to tell a lie about them that hurts them. When you love somebody, you don't commit adultery with their wife or their husband, right? Love covers all sin, and love takes care 
of you and all the threats of life. So it comes down to this, and one statement that Jesus made. One day a religious person asked Jesus. He came up to him, and he was like, hey, Jesus, these people over here say the most important commandment is not to murder. But these people over here say the most important commandment is that you, you keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. Who's right? And Jesus was like, well, okay, let me tell you. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second is close to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What's his answer? His answer is love. Don't murder. Don't, don't break the Sabbath and, and all of the other commandments. He says the greatest of these is love. Why does he say that? Because love takes care of all of those things. And here's what's funny. At least in their time, the Pharisees were talking about the Ten Commandments. But today, if someone were to ask Jesus the same question, they'd walk up to, to him and they'd be like, Hey, Jesus, this church over here doesn't celebrate Christmas with Christmas trees or anything like that. And, and this church over here doesn't go to dances. And this church over here doesn't drink. And this church over here uses a preacher on the screen. And this church over here only uses the King James Bible. And this, then you have the flock that rocks and they bounce all over the place. And they got the Spirit of God in there and everybody's walking around everybody's running this church is and then this church over here is healing people Jesus which is greater and to be the same answer love choose the way of love all of that is not the issue the issue is do you love me and do you love the people around you or are you managing threats? Jesus was always challenging people to let go of their threats to him, to love him. About to wrap it up here. Just give me a few more minutes. Is that all right? One day, Jesus and the disciples were walking through the grain fields. And as they're walking along, it was a Sabbath. You know, you're not supposed to pick grain on the Sabbath, right? And Jesus was walking along, and they started picking some of the grain, and they started eating it. And Jesus, Jesus looked, and the religious people, they were like, hey, 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 what are you doing that for? It's unlawful for you to do that. Why are you doing that? And Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So... He, so the Son of Man in, is Lord even of the Sabbath. What is he saying? In other words, look at the intent of the Sabbath. Look at the intent of the Sabbath. Why did God give it to us? So we could sit around judging? So we could sit around and live in bondage on the Sabbath day? Is that why? He gave it to us so that we would rest. But more than that, so that we would have time and to worship Him and have a relationship with Him once a week, right? Well, it's supposed to be all week, but that day set aside as a day of the Lord. One day, Jesus walked into the synagogue and a man with a crippled hand walked up to Him. Crippled hand, right? Scripture says it was shriveled up. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked Him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? 
how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. What is Jesus saying? Even if it's work. Why? Because you're taking care of somebody. It's love, right? Then he, asked, he said to the man, he looked at the man with a shriveled hand and he said, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored just as the other was. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. What are they saying? The Sabbath is more important to us than the murder commandment. We're more threatened that you do whatever you want on the Sabbath and you get away with it and we're going to murder you for it. That's craziness, isn't it? So this is where the law fails us every time. Threats thwart love. James David, would you come? You remember the story of the woman that came into Jesus, or well, Jesus was at, was at a, 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 per, a guy's house, and he was reclined at the table, and he was eating, he was going to eat with them and stuff, and all the disciples were there, and this woman came in, and she was sobbing, and she was crying, and she had this whole year's salary worth of perfume, and she walked up behind Jesus, because his feet were there behind him, and she began washing his feet with her tears, and drying them with her hair, and she poured a whole year's salary worth of perfume on his feet and began to wash his feet and anoint him and worship. Everybody in that room looked around and their threats were huge. How is he doing this? Why is he allowing this? Jesus, if he knew what kind of woman this is, if he was God, he would never allow this kind of a situation. And their threats, they were starting to try to manage their threats and Jesus picked up on it. And the scripture talks about in that moment, it was when Judas allowed the, the Satan to come in and just, and just wreak havoc on him so that he was justified in doing what he did to Jesus. And they totally missed the point that this woman, who was of ill repute, Jesus was loving her. And there was nothing sensual going on, even though that's what they saw. He loved her. And Jesus, not managing his threats, not living by his threats, because if he lived by his threats, he would have jumped up and said, woman, don't touch me. Don't touch me. I've got a reputation here. I've got to handle this reputation. Instead, he loved her and let her worship. And he took care of her. It's an amazing moment. Because Jesus is way bigger than our threats. And he's big enough he can handle anything that's said about him. Another time Jesus was standing, or Jesus had taken a spot to, to start speaking. They had fed a bunch of people in a previous town. And they followed Jesus to this town and Jesus is there and he's like, man, these people, all they're here for is to, to get some food. They're just managing their threats. Free food. Free food. They don't love me. They don't care about me. They don't care what I'm saying. They're not listening. It's frustrating. The disciples were excited. Jesus, we got thousands of people here today. This is going to be amazing. Wow, this is great. We got an amazing church that's being built. Yada, 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 yada. 
And Jesus steps up and he threatens them. Why? Because he knows that's why they're there. He says, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Who's first? And the scripture says that all the people walked away and he turned to the disciples. It's very descriptive. He looked at the disciples and he said, you guys going too?" And Peter looks at him and says, we don't understand what you just said. We don't get it. You had a huge crowd. Everything was great. We don't understand what you just said, but you're God. We know you're God. Who else are we going to turn to? Jesus was always challenging people to love him. And he's very willing to say, if you want to walk, there's the door. You're either here because you love or because you're managing threats. And a, cho a choice that we have to make is... I'm not going to come to church just because I want to avoid hell or just because I want to, to, to be a part of something that makes me, you know, just feel like I'm okay. That's managing threats. God says, I want you to come and be a part of the body of Christ. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. What is that? It's communion. And we certainly understand it now. And the, the disciples talked about it later. Oh, now we get it. He was talking about communion, partaking in the body of Christ, communion. You see, God wants the direction of your life to be about love, not why what you're threatened by. Why are you here? Why are you in your home? Are you loving the people in your home? Or are you continually threatened? Why are you going to school tomorrow for those of our students? Why are you going to work tomorrow? Are you loving the people at your workplace? Are you living a life of love? If I could have John and Dana and Robert, if you guys would come serve communion for us. We're going to eat and we're going to drink together. If you're our guest today, so John, if you get on this side, yeah, there you go. If you're our guest today, do you accept, you've accepted Christ into your life today? Or Prior to this or whatever, you're welcome to participate. We have open communion, whether you're part of this church body or not, doesn't matter. You're part of us if you're the body of Christ. Amen? So hold on to the cup. Don't do anything with it yet. I'll give you some instructions in just a moment. We're going to pray before we do. So today, imagine that you're at a crossroad. And you're going to go either left or you're going to go right. 
going to go the way of love, or you're going to live based upon your threats. Some of you actually live where you live because your threats took you there. It's time to get vision. It's time to get direction for your life. It's time to have meaning in your life. Don't you want that? I do. You know, question as I move forward is, you know, to be honest with you, question that I've got is do I ever want to get married again because I don't know that I ever want to have to lose someone again right it's a real threat and if I live based on that threat I could miss a great moment in my life what are you afraid of it's time to only be afraid of God Why do I say that? Because he's the only one that hung up on a cross and he says, this is what it looks like. Don't let them threaten you. Even if they hang you on a cross and beat you beyond recognition, don't let them threaten you. Don't let life threaten you. And at the same time, what was he saying? He was saying, I'm not a threat to you. Scripture records that there were 72,000 angels in the air waiting for him to say, get them. But he didn't. I'm not a threat to you, he says. If you're afraid of anyone, be afraid of me. I'll take care of you. Father, we come to you today and we thank you for your love for us. You chose the way of love. And today we choose the same thing. We ask you to fill our hearts with your presence. Heal us. And God, help us to not live a life based on what we're afraid of and the threats of life. But God, to choose the way of love in all the things that we do. That we would be able to take up our cross and follow you. To be people who are able to give in extreme. People who are able to go the extra mile even to the extreme. God, that when we see a need or we see an opportunity to help somebody, that we're able to do that because we're not afraid for our own lives anymore. That God, when somebody abuses us or misuses us, that even though we may have to set boundaries there, that God, we, we keep pressing on and we keep moving forward instead of being victims in this world. To not live based upon our threats and our fears, but to God, to live in love. And maybe there's somebody here today that's accepting Christ into your life. Just do that right now. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Thank you for washing me and cleansing me. Thank you for the blood of Christ that heals me. I invite you into my life and I say, you're my God. I love you. I want to get to know who you are and what you like and what you don't like. Help me to learn to love you. 
In Jesus' name, amen.